Thank you, choir. I didn't even tell Richard, but that's, that's the song that Morgan walked down the aisle to in our wedding. Yeah, special, special song. And Great Is Thy Faithfulness was in our, our wedding ceremony as well. I didn't, didn't tell you that. It's true. It's a special day in the life of our church, a special day in the life of my family. Um, it's an interesting prospect to deliver a sermon while the ballots are being counted. <laughs> But I guess it's, it's better than the, the traditional preaching in view of a call where the, the vote happens after the sermon because now your votes are already cast and I can say whatever I want. <laughs> I think uh, many of you have heard the, the, the story that, uh, about last week. and If you haven't heard it, I'll tell you. Um, as Morgan was driving the kids home after church on, on Sunday, uh, we had a, a leaders meeting downstairs and she asked the kids, how would you feel about dad being the, the pastor at Woodmont? Um, and Jude said, whoa, 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 mom, it's not a for sure thing yet, okay? And uh, she said, well, yeah, I know, there's a vote that's going to happen next week, but it, it looks like there's a good chance that it may happen. And Jude immediately said, well, that's what Hillary Clinton thought, too. <laughs> I'm not sure where he's getting his news from, but he's, he's more informed than we had suspected, um, for sure. And I don't know, I'm not sure what's more intimidating either this morning, if it's, if it's more intimidating to preach having the search committee here on the second row or having Dot White and Albert Attorney on the front row. I don't know. It's both very intimidating. Thank you for, no, okay, you're going to be kind? You're not going to heckle or anything? Okay. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> it is a special day. This is a, a special group of people that we have in this church here. Uh, some unbelievable saints that we've been blessed to know. Um, I know Jean Pilon's daughter is visiting this morning, and she mentioned what a warm and welcoming church this is, and it's true. Um, you guys are, are incredibly gracious, and you've shown that warmth and that welcome to me and my family, so I'll try to get through this. Um, it's the sermon today is what you've done uh, for my family, really, is the sermon. Our, our journey, if you'd asked me a year ago, if you thought that you would be preaching in view of a call at Woodmont Baptist Church to be the pastor, I would have said, you are crazy. Absolutely not. I'm called the youth ministry. I love my, my current job. We, this is where God has us. We are absolutely rooted here, and, and, and nothing's going to change. <laughs> you ever tell God things aren't going to change? It's been a, an interesting journey, and it hasn't always been an easy one. As, as many of you can attest, life is, is full of, of ups and downs. There are peaks and there are valleys in all of our journeys. And there's times where Morgan and I, in this last year, didn't know what our next step would be. We were walking by faith and not by sight. We had to learn to, to pray prayers of dependence like we never have before. And yet, looking back now, we can see the hand of God in all of it. He's been so faithful. Great is his faithfulness. He's proven himself over and over throughout this season of our lives. And so a few months ago, when, when I was contemplating asking Woodmont Baptist Church as an interim pastor to read through the Bible in 2017, I started looking at what that might look like. 
and, and saw the, the, the reading plan that, that I had thought would be the best fit and was looking at what sermon series might fit into the reading plan if we decided to do this thing. And so way back in November, I was plugging in Genesis passages into January. And for January 29th, I put Genesis 50, but the Lord meant it for good. I didn't know that I'd be standing here today in this position that we're in now. That all of this last year, everything that, that we've been through, the uncertainty, that the Lord has meant it for good. And when I've mentioned that to some people here, they said, well, it works two ways that what the Lord has done at Woodmont, you know, there's, there's ups and downs here too, and all of it has been for good. We can say that this morning. I wrote down um, that this text would be uh, the, the text that I preached today, you know, back in November, and I told Morgan, hey, by the way, the text that I'm preaching on January 29th in view of a call is Genesis 50. She gasped because our, our mantra kind of this last year has been uh, that God meant it all for good, that God meant it for good. We've been saying that over and over to each other. And so when I told her that would be the text today, she, she couldn't believe it. And I know we're a good 20 plus chapters into Exodus now in your reading if you're following along, but uh, I, we're going to finish Genesis today. I think we just about cover the whole book if we finish this series with a great passage about Joseph. The first Sunday that we mentioned this series in, in, in Genesis, we talked about the fall of creation four weeks ago about how Genesis 3, the serpent shows up and sin enters the world and the universe is plunged into death and darkness and decay for the first time. That everything changes, thorns come up from the ground. That, that pain and, and death and suffering enter the world for the first time. And then the next week we talked about how God had this plan to make a family for himself through one guy named Abraham. He would be the father of a great nation. And how he tested Abraham. He stretched his faith by commanding him to go and sacrifice his own son. And Abraham, in obedience, stepped out in faith and obeyed the, the greatest act of faith in the history of faith. And how the Lord provided a sacrificial ram in the place of his son Isaac. And then we, we talked about last week about his grandson Jacob and about how Jacob was on the way to find a wife and God showed up in a dream to him and he saw a ladder between heaven and earth a bridge between God's realm and our mundane realm and how Jesus Christ would fulfill the, 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 the prophecies later by being that bridge for us by being the ladder between heaven and earth for all humans and then Jacob on his return journey home after he got a two for one deal on wives and had 11 children by this point is coming back to Israel back to Canaan the promised land and God shows up again but this time it's in the form of a man and they wrestle and, and they're struggling all night long and, and Jacob, even though his hip is out of socket, he perseveres through the pain. And he determined not to detach. And he also believed there was a blessing in the struggle. He believed that there was a blessing somewhere in that struggle. So this week, we're going to talk about the last part of Genesis. From chapter 37 on, the story centers around one of Jacob's sons, Joseph. It's such a, a great story. You know this story, Joseph, the guy with the Technicolor dream coat, right? He's the 11th son of, of Jacob and his favorite. You know that, that he becomes this kind of arrogant young man who 
has all these dreams about his brothers and even his parents bowing down to him and him ruling over them. And even his dad says, hey, Joseph, cool it with the dreams, okay? It's driving everybody nuts, okay? You need to just chill out with that a little bit. Because he's telling everybody how they're going to bow down to him eventually, which of course was true. And a, a prophecy that would come to pass. And his, his brothers despise him, of course, as you siblings know how sibling rivalry can be. And they plan to get rid of him. And they want to kill him. But his oldest brother, good old Reuben, says, let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit and leave him. And so they throw him in a pit and they, they leave him. But meanwhile, Judah, he's the crafty one, he, get, he gets the idea, I see a win-win opportunity here. Let's sell him into slavery and we'll just take the money and then we'll tell dad that he was killed by some wild animals. And then everybody says, yeah, yeah, let's do that. So they sell him to some Midianite traders and they, they take his technicolor dream coat and they dip it in goat's blood and they, and they send it to their dad. And the dad, Jacob, breaks down sobbing, weeping at what apparently has been a horrific attack by wild animals on his beloved son, Joseph. So it doesn't look good for Joseph at this point. He gets sold from these human traffickers, these Midianite traders, to a guy named Potiphar who's an Egyptian official. He's the captain of the Pharaoh's guard in, in all of Egypt. And at this point, Joseph had a couple options, didn't he? He could have said, you know what? I, I'm, I, this is horrible. I'm human property. I'm owned as a slave. I'm working like a dog 18 hours a day. And he could have abandoned hope and just given up. But he didn't. He began to, to work with all his heart in, in, in the, the house of Potiphar. And the Lord blessed his efforts. You see, God had a plan for him, and Joseph was participating faithfully in that plan. So uh, everything looks good at this point. Potiphar starts putting him in charge of his entire household, and things are going great for Joseph. But then Potiphar's wife lies and, and accuses Joseph, and Joseph's thrown in prison. Once again, he could have said, man, just when things were going right, now all hope is gone again. Is that what he does? Does he, does he despair? Does he lose hope? No. Again, it's all part of God's plan. Genesis 39, verse 21, when he's in prison, the text says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. He gets put in charge of, of everything in the prison. See, God's love and favor didn't depart from him just because he was at a low point. As you can attest, when you're at your lowest, God's love and favor usually seem to be even stronger than those times. You know that from experience to be true. So in prison, Joseph develops a reputation for succeeding in positions of management. Again, they put him in charge of all these things, and, and he, he does really well, but he also develops a reputation as an interpreter of dreams. All these prisoners who have these dreams, he can interpret them. And then one day the Pharaoh has a dream that no one can interpret. All his magicians, all his wise men, they, they don't know what it means. He dreamt that seven fat cows came out of the Nile River, followed by seven skinny cows. And then the skinny cows devoured the fat cows. What does it mean? No one could, could interpret it. So finally he hears about this Joseph guy from one of the former prisoners, his cupbearer. And the cupbearer says, you've got to ask this guy, Joseph. He's incredible at interpreting dreams. So he calls Joseph up and Joseph says, oh yeah. I know exactly what that means. What that means is you're going to have seven years of a fat harvest. God's going to give you favor and great weather and bountiful, bountiful food supply. 
followed by seven years of famine. And Pharaoh said, wow, that's, that's great. Thanks for doing that. And then Joseph says, yeah, now furthermore, here's the logistical plan that you need to follow in order to survive, okay? First off, build some huge storehouses, okay? Secondly, appoint some overseers who will be in charge of taking 20% of every year's harvest, storing, I mean, he's just amazing. He's got his whole plan all figured out. And Pharaoh just is blown away by it. And it's a way to provide for the people of Egypt through the seven lean years, the years of famine. And Pharaoh says, yeah, let's do that. Let's do what this guy says. That sounds incredible. And he puts Joseph in charge of this program. And, and Joseph, he, he does great at it. He excels as a leader in Egypt, and, and Pharaoh keeps giving him more and more uh, to do and, and places him in positions of authority to where he's second to nobody in all of Egypt except for Pharaoh. The Lord's favor is with him in all that he does. So, of course, what he interpreted came to pass, of course, the seven fat years and the seven lean years. And then at the end of chapter 41, we're told that when the famine had spread, verse 56, when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses that he had the idea to build and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. All the earth came, it says, including people who dwelt nearby in Canaan, including people like his brothers who came to buy grain because they heard that Egypt had some grain because someone smart there knew to store it. So Joseph recognizes his brothers, but of course they don't know him because they, they can't recognize him in this position of authority and all he's become in Egypt. And of course he eventually reveals himself to them and explains, I'm Joseph. I'm your, your little brother whom you sold into slavery. And they're terrified. They say, oh no, we, we tried to kill this guy. We sold him as human property and, and now he's like in charge of all of Egypt. This is not going to end well for us, they're afraid. And that brings us to the end of the story, the end of this great book of beginnings in Genesis chapter 50. So this morning, if you're able, maybe let's stand in honor of God's word as we read Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Then he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So the brothers realize at this point that their dad, Jacob, is, is dead, and that really settles in. You know how grief is. It's the, the grief is, is really settling in, the reality that he's gone. 
And now they're afraid that Joseph has no reason anymore since Jacob's gone to keep them alive. What, what purpose does it serve now to, to, to keep these brothers alive? So they're, they're scared out of their, their wits at this point. Back in chapter 37, we know that the brothers hated Joseph. It tells us they hated Joseph. But now they think Joseph's going to hate them back. But their hate for Joseph was real. We know that. But their, the, the hate that Joseph had only existed in their imagination. It wasn't a real hate. They just presumed that he would hate them back. And this is the, the first time in, in the entire book where the brothers actually admit to any wrongdoing. They say, ooh, we, we did evil to him. They know that they deserve to be treated in like kind, that they deserve to have evil done to them because they have, in fact, committed evil. This, so they, they're cowards, right? So they send a message to Joseph. They don't want to talk to him face to face. And, and they, they fabricate this lie, probably. We don't know for sure, but it's probably a lie that, that their dad, as he was dying, said, oh, please tell your brother Joseph to uh, forgive their sins. Right, right, I'm sure he said that. We know that they lied to Jacob in chapter 37. Why would they not now lie about Jacob in chapter 50? So Joseph weeps when he hears this report. Why does he weep? You know, I, I think it's because they don't, they don't get it. After all the kindness that he's shown to them, when he reveals who he is, he says, I'm your brother. I love you. I'm, I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to give you all this grain, not only grain, but I'm going to give you land in the land of Goshen. It's awesome. You're going to love it. I'm going to give you places to raise your livestock and your families. And he takes care of them because he loves them. And they're still afraid of him. They still see him as this foreign position of power. They don't get it that he's their brother who loves them. That he's forgiven them with a godly, gracious kind of forgiveness that can only come through faith in the one true God. So his brothers fall in front of him. They don't bow. They don't kneel. They fall on their faces in front of Joseph. And Joseph doesn't berate them for trying to manipulate him into forgiving them, does he? He comforts them. He allays their fears. He says, do not fear for, for what what God has, what you, what you have meant for evil, God has meant for good. And then he says, I, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? Only God is the righteous judge, he's saying here. I can't judge you, only God can. We know that the Bible says that vengeance is the Lord's, right? It's, it's God who deserves to punish wrong. It's God who deserves to repay evil, not my job. That's something I'm trying to teach my kids at this point. It's a tough lesson to learn. What a completely different attitude we see here in Joseph than what we saw in Adam and Eve when we preached on, on Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve, you know, wanted to be like God. Remember that? They wanted, that the serpent told them that they could be in God's place. The serpent told them that they could be like God is. The serpent told them that they didn't need God to be sovereign over their lives because they could do that for themselves. It's the opposite here with Joseph. I read a, a great quote from a, a theologian named Victor Hamilton. He said, Genesis begins by telling us about a primeval couple who tried to become like God. And it ends telling us about a man who denied that he was in God's place. Adam and Eve attempted to wipe out the dividing line between God and humanity. And Joseph refuses to try to cross that line. 
Joseph will only be God's instrument, never his substitute. Isn't that great? And finally, Joseph tries to explain theologically what's going on here to his brothers. He's trying to show them what's really happening behind the scenes, what God is up to, what God is like, by telling them what you meant for evil, God meant for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is what God does, right? God is in the business 24-7 of taking evil and turning it into good. It's called redemption, right? God takes awful, awful circumstances of this world and he, he, he morphs them into something beautiful. This is, this is what his business is. He's a professional evil taker into good worker. That's what he does. That's his business. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 61 gives us a, a beautiful picture about what God does. He says that God gives us a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. He gives us beauty instead of ashes. He gives us the oil of gladness instead of mourning. He gives us the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that we could be called oaks of righteousness that are firmly rooted as the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. That he may be glorified. Our, our valleys that we go through, our pain, our hurts and habits and hang-ups, right, as Celebrate Recovery calls it, all of those things are meant for good by God. That's the point that Genesis 50 is making. God promises to work good from them by delivering us through those things. Notice I didn't say from those things. God doesn't deliver us from our pain, from our valleys, from our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. He delivers us through them. He promises he will do that. God is faithful to make a way through our pain when we cannot see a way. On Friday morning, I was driving in uh, to the hospital to have a prayer with someone who's, whose mom was going into surgery, and, and it always gives you perspective going to the hospital, doesn't it? We, we get self-pitiful, my life is hard. No. You go to the hospital and you realize how good we have it, right? And as I'm driving on the way, my wife calls and says, hey, you got to listen to this song by Ellie, Ellie Holcomb. It's called Red Sea Road, and it fits exactly with what we're going on in our, you know the song? It's good. It's a good one. It fits exactly with our readings that we've been doing in Exodus. She says, you got to listen to this. We had just read Exodus 13 and 14 about the, the deliverance of God's people through the Red Sea. And the, the song is a beautiful song, and it says this on the chorus. It says, we will sing to our souls. We won't bury our hope. Where he leads us to go, there's a Red Sea road. When we can't see the way, he will part the waves and will never walk alone down a Red Sea road. God is in this business, isn't he? Of forging a way through our pain, of forging a way through the hard times. I know so many couples in, in my age and stage of life that are struggling or have struggled with infertility issues and struggled with miscarriages Morgan and I have been there. I know so many people who are, have struggled with, with loss of a job or 
or a complete dissatisfaction with their job or a lack of, of understanding what, it, what their vocation truly is, what God's called them to do. We've been there too. And during those times, our church family surrounded us and shared their stories with us of how God made a Red Sea road through those times. It meant so much to us to have people to do life with in our church family. There are ways out of those times by the grace of God. There is a Red Sea Road. Whatever it is that you're going through today, whether it's addiction, maybe you're financially unstable, maybe you're lonely, maybe it's a, a great depression, anxiety, maybe it's a, a divorce, maybe it's a, a loss of a loved one, or maybe it is infertility or a miscarriage, maybe it's a, 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 an unexpected pregnancy, Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's infidelity. What, whatever you're going through today, God is faithful to forge a way through it and deliver you. Isaiah 43, verse 16 and 17, reminds us of the Red Sea Road. It says, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea. Only God can do that. A path in the mighty waters. How many of you feel the waters crushing you today? Who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the warrior. They all lie down. They cannot rise. They're extinguished like a wick. A couple months ago, I, I posted John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 on my, my Facebook wall. It says, as, as Jesus passed by, you know the story. He saw a blind man, blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Because surely God just wouldn't make someone blind. Someone had to screw up. But Jesus answered, it was not this man sinned. And it wasn't his parents that sinned. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I captioned it, our hardships are not punishments, they're opportunities. And, and one of our best friends posted another comment on there and said, God does not waste pain. God does not waste pain. You see, whatever was meant for evil against you today, God meant for good. It's true, we can claim that promise. We, we may not see it even on this side of eternity, on this side of glory, but I promise, in the end, God will repurpose it for good. You can trust in that promise. God will not waste your pain. You know, I read an interview with Ellie Holcomb, who was talking about that song, and she said, we don't have to bury our hope because he was already buried for us. And hope himself walked out of the grave. Let us remember that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can find purpose in our pain. That's the only place that makes sense of our pain. I mean, what's, what's the greatest evil that was ever committed on this, this planet? What's the worst thing that ever happened? It's got to be that the, the innocent, perfect, holy son of God who came to earth only to give himself away, who lived a sinless life, who healed the sick, who gave sight to the blind, who said, let the children come to me, that he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver and handed over to a corrupt Roman government to be unjustly killed and convicted and crucified. The worst evil ever committed. Judas Iscariot committed the most 
heinous, insane act of betrayal ever. And yet, it was that act that God purposed to lead himself to the cross in order to pay the debt that we couldn't pay, in order to make us right with him forever, in order to redeem this fallen, broken world back unto himself through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You see, what, what Judas intended for evil, God meant for good. Joseph's own brothers committed horrible evil against him. They trafficked him as a human property. And yet God turned that evil into their very salvation, literally. Without them selling him into slavery, famine would have consumed them and their families. God's blessing was poured out through their act of evil on all the region because he's a good God who remains on his throne. A few keys here to remember. First, seek to be God's instrument, never his substitute. Be like Joseph, right? Not like Adam and Eve. Remember where that line between humanity and divinity is. Remember who God is and who you are and let God be God. I love Exodus 14, 14. It says, the Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is be silent. The Lord will fight for you. Vengeance is the Lord's. Let him handle that stuff. Let him repay evil. Second, remember that God does not waste pain. He's at work behind the scenes, whatever you're going through today. That our pain will find purpose in the cross, I promise. And it ultimately it will result for our good and for God's glory. Remember Romans 8.28, right? All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. When I was with some teenagers in Denver a couple years ago on a mission trip, this 16-year-old kid who was not a particularly sharp theologian necessarily got up in front of a, a group like this and gave his testimony. And he said that uh, his life ever since he had become a Christian had not always been the best, but it had all been for the best. It was brilliant. His life hadn't always been the best, but it had all been for the best. He could claim that promise because he knew that God was behind the scenes working it all for his good and for God's glory. Third thing to remember is that the Red Sea Road, that God makes a way where there appears to be no way, that that way will not deliver you from your pain, but through it. And last, hold on to the hope of the gospel. Ultimately, it's the only thing that can make sense of the brokenness in this world. Hold on to the hope that comes from knowing that hope himself conquered death. He conquered the grave. Hope walked out of the empty tomb. He's conquered fear, therefore. He's conquered insecurity. He's conquered cancer. He's conquered divorce. He's, he's conquered whatever infirmities. He's conquered poverty and war and violence. He's conquered addiction. Our hope lives. Thank you, Woodmont, for, for proving this to me and to my family, that when there seemed to be no way, whatever happens with this vote, you guys have proven to me that God is faithful and that he's good, that he has a plan, that he's always working behind the scenes for our good and for his purposes, and ultimately it will result in his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. Lord God, we're humbled 
to, to know that you have a purpose for us, that you use us, that you have a plan for our lives, even the evil that comes our way, you repurpose for good. God, thank you that you are in the business of working evil into good. Thank you that you're in the business of redeeming the broken, fallen aspects of our lives and turning them into beauty for ashes and turning them into oil of gladness for mourning. God, thank you that you are a God who sees the big picture while we see such a small part. God, may we trust you more. May we be able to say, great is your faithfulness towards us. God, if, if, if anyone here today is in a season of life where their prayer is, Lord, help my unbelief, I pray that you would prove to them your faithfulness as you've proven it to me. I pray that you would prove to Woodmont your faithfulness and your plan for this church and these people. God, we thank you for the cross, the most heinous evil ever committed on, on this planet, and yet you have used it to redeem the world. God, may we live into that kind of promise. May we walk the Red Sea roads of our lives with, with eagerness and expectation that you will part the waters, that you will deliver us through whatever it is that we're going through. God, if there's anyone here today who's struggling with the pain of addiction, the pain of, of whatever they're wrestling with today, may you remind them that you make a way where there appears to be no way. Help us to live into that hope, our living hope, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. This morning, our invitation is for everyone. Um, if, if you are someone who's in the throes of this pain that we're talking about, maybe you just need to come forward and pray at the altar. Maybe you just need to come and say to God, I give up. I surrender to you. I'm going to sit back and let you be God and fight for me. I'm just going to be silent and know that you are God. Or maybe you've never ever experienced God for yourself through Jesus Christ in a personal way. Maybe you need to surrender your life to him for the first time this morning as Lord and Savior of your heart and your life. Maybe you're doing life on your own. You've kind of decided to, to kind of do the, the spirituality thing as, as, as part of your own life, but you're not a part of a team. You're not a part of a family. This family of faith, Woodmont, would love to have you join us as a member. Maybe you've never been baptized. I'm so excited. We're going to have a, a baptism soon. Chris White, who's here today, is, is going to be baptized soon as following Jesus' example of, of being baptized as a symbol of dying to your old self and being raised into a whole new kind of life. Maybe you need to do that. Whatever decision it is that you need to make today, don't leave this place without making it. I'll be up here at the front. We're going to sing Great is God's Faithfulness again. And I pray that you'll be able to sing that from your heart. Let's stand and sing. Hymn number 48. Let's sing together.